This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for March 5th, 2023. The title of the message is Abounding in Christian Love. Well, if you would open your Bibles with me, we continue in our morning series through Paul's Epistle to the Philippians, the Epistle of Joy. Uh, the series uh, I've entitled To Live as Christ. Last week we looked at um, uh, verses uh, 7 and 8. If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. For context, I'm going to read 7 and 8, which we looked at last week, but this morning's uh, uh, passage is verses 9 to 11. Uh, Paul is still at the beginning of his uh, introductory prayer, if you will, his introductory remarks that include uh, greetings and um, his declaration of affection for the Philippians and, and his prayer for them. And so verses 7 and 8 was an interruption uh, in that, that thought flow where he just kind of overflows uh, with, with affection and love for the Philippians. And then he jumps right back into finishing his thought about, about praying for the Philippians and the desires that he has uh, for them. So with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that is sweeter to our lips than honey, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord, that it is uh, by... Um, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord, would you bless your word this morning? Would you empower it by the work of your spirit into our hearts, to those who hear, uh, that we might be changed, that we would live it out, that we would apply it, uh, that we would not let it um, just wash over us as if nothing happened, but it would hit us, Lord, uh, deep, deep, pierce us deep into our thoughts and, and, and intentions of our hearts. Lord, be with me as I read and particularly as I proclaim and preach your word that it would go forth and it would not return unto you void without accomplishing all that you have ordained it to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word beginning in verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is uh, my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. What, what kinds of things do you pray for? What do you ask God to do for you? What kinds of things do you ask uh, of God, things that you need, things that you don't have, or maybe things that you have and you don't want anymore. Uh, what kinds of, well, how do you pray to God? 
I think if we're honest with ourselves, uh, it's usually stuff. I think as Americans, uh, living in, a, in our uh, consumer, postmodern consumer culture, we ask for stuff, whether it be jobs, whether it be uh, a spouse, whether it be family, whether it be um, a car, more money, a bigger house. Um, and sometimes when things get tough, we ask God for help with regards to uh, our circumstances. And sometimes, I think in, in many circumstances, we ask for God to remove the difficulties rather than helping us persevere in those difficulties. Uh, and then, you know, that, that, that could be the, ex- the extent of our prayers. Uh, but if we really knew the God to whom we pray, I wonder how that would revolutionize our prayer life. We serve a God who is almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, wise, and good. And I wonder if we take advantage, if we, if we lay hold of who God is as we pray, and how much more deeper and more powerful our prayer life could be. Jesus said, whatever we ask in his name, God will give it to us for his own glory, that his own glory is at stake for the things that we pray for. And so it seems like there's so much more that we can ask of God, but we don't. And so it begs the question, how can we better pray? How can we better pray for ourselves, for our loved ones, and for others? How should we pray to God for ourselves and for others around us? This morning, Paul shows us how to pray, how to pray for ourselves and how to pray for those around us. Paul tells the Philippians how he is praying for them, and in doing that, he shows us how we ought to pray for ourselves and for others to enrich our prayer life. And so, so how should we pray? Let's look at what he tells us here, beginning in verse 9. How should we pray for ourselves and for one another? First, we should pray for an abounding love for God and for one another. An abounding love for God and one another. After declaring his thanksgiving and affection for the Philippians, he tells them how he prays for them. Look at what he says there. He says, it is my prayer. This is how I'm praying for you. And what is that prayer? That your love may abound more and more. And this language of abounding is, it is the, the verbal form of abundance. It's just a lot to grow, overflow. More and more. And there's a sense of like an ad infinitum in terms of the love that he's praying for. And I want you to note a few things here about Paul's prayer. When you love someone, it's only natural that you pray for them. When you love someone, you love them with prayer. Prayer is the best thing that we can do for those that we love. It is the most important thing that we can do for those that we love. And it ought to be the first thing that we do for those we love, not the last. 
And it's asking God to do for them what we can never do ourselves for them. It's asking God to give them what we could never give them. Because only God can give it to them. That's how we, how, how we pray for those that we love with prayer. It also means when you love someone, you pray for their love to abound, to grow, to overflow. What's amazing here is Paul's prayer for, for the Philippians to love for their love to abound more and more, has no direct object. It's just, it's just he just wants their love, their love to abound more and more. Um, we usually think of, of love as having a direct object. Like we love our husbands, our wives, our children. We love uh, what God is doing. We love something. But here Paul doesn't give us that something. He just says, I want your love. That characteristic of love, the action of love, the disposition of love, the heart of love, to abound more and more. So what is he saying then? He's asking God to help them overflow with Christian love toward God, toward everyone, and, and, and everything around them. Just to just to ooze love from every pore of their being. I, mean, I hope that's a, a vivid picture for you all. That if they were ever to get cut, love would flow out. <laughs> and like an unending fountain, Paul is praying for their love to overflow up toward God and out toward each other in lavish, limitless, unending abundance. Paul has in mind all the different ways we can abound in love. And in four particular aspects here. It means growing in our love for God because he created love, because he is love, because love comes from him. Uh, Listen to what John says in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 17. And how did he love us? In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, who shows us the manifest love uh, poured out at the cross and at the resurrection that he gives to us in the spirit of his love, in the, in the giving of his Holy Spirit. And letting that love overflow into our love for one another. That that's why he shows us and gives us that love. So that we can exhibit, exhibit it uh, to those uh, we love. It also means growing in our love, not only for God, not only for one another, but also for the lost. For the lost who need Jesus, who need the love of God themselves. This is at the heart of God's love for us in Christ. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That he gave his only son who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, at the heart of God's love for us is, is that we were lost in our sins, dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enemies of God. And while we were still enemies, God loved us. So what does that mean? That we ought to love in the very same way by loving our enemies, loving our, those who are lost like we once were. And if God loves sinners like us, while we were his enemies, then it also means growing in our love for our enemies. But God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So like Paul, we need to pray. Pray that our love may abound limitlessly, lavishly, abundantly, more and more for God, for our fellow believers, for the lost, and for our enemies. That is the character of God's amazing, wonderful, glorious love. This brings us then to my second point. We should pray not only for an abounding love, but also a discerning love. Paradoxically, in our culture, uh, we're constantly searching for love while at the same time trying to redefine it. It's almost as if there's no uh, a fixed definition or description of love is too oppressive in our culture. Uh, it, it, for them, it's, it, you know, who gets to choose or who gets to define what love is? And, and if so, if, if we all get to define or redefine what love is, then, then it, love is whatever we want it to be. But in doing that, you can see the con- utter chaos and confusion that people have about what love is and what love look like, looks like. Um, in the 60s, you, there was that song, All We Need Is Love, Right? To where we find ourselves uh, in the 80s, to declare in the 80s, um, I think I'm dating myself here, is I want to know what love is because because the the singer doesn't know what it is. Uh, To where we are, we find ourselves today that love is love. Without defining, love is whatever we want it to be. So when we apply this idea of love to our relationship to God, this is what our culture tells us, and this is even what we buy into ourselves as Christians, that, that, the, that the less we know about God, the more we love him. Why? Because we want to love as we want to love. And so the more we love, the more we know God, the more, the more uh, defined our love will be because the Bible, because God defines what love is. And so we want, we want a hazy Uh, out-of-focus, blurry picture of who God is so that we uh, can have a blurry picture of what love is, love for him and love for one another. Um, But that should not be the case. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches us. Frank Sheed uh, puts it so well this way. Listen carefully. A virtuous man may be ignorant, but ignorance is not a virtue. 
It would be a strange God who could be loved better by being known less. Love of God is not the same as knowledge of God. Love of God is immeasurably more important than knowledge of God. But if a man loves God knowing a little about him, he should love God more from knowing more about him. For every new thing known about God is a new reason for loving him. So what is Paul saying here? What is Paul saying here in, these, in this beginning verse? He's, he's saying to know God is to love God. And that what that means then is to, to know God more and more is then to love God more and more. Look at what he says there. He prays for how we ought to abound in love more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. We can never abound in love for God if we don't abound in love for God's word. This is why it's so important to come to gathered worship uh, with a hunger and thirst for God's word. We grow in our love for God by growing in our knowledge of God through his word. Our love for God will only be as deep as our knowledge of God. If we don't know God as deeply as we should, then we won't love him as deeply as we should. So if your love for God has grown lukewarm or even cold, then open your Bibles and warm it up in the studying of it. Let the word of God be a fire that you light under your cold heart to warm it up, to bring it, bring it to life, to make it beat, to set yourself on fire, if you will. I really love John Wesley's uh, uh, description of what it means to, to, to be a preacher of the gospel. His whole desire was to get up Preach, preach the gospel, and and uh, and I guess he pour the gospel on himself, and 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 uh, let people watch him burn with love for God. That's what we need to do. We need to read it, meditate on it, memorize it, apply it, live by it, walk in it. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. Let it be sweeter to our lips than honey. Why? Why do we have to do all these things? to abound more and more in our love. Because to know God is to love God. And to know him more and more is to love him more and more. If you don't know him, then how can you love him? This also applies not only to God, but to loving others. We need to know God's word to teach us then how to love others well and to do it in the right way with the right things. And to love them in the best way with the best things. Look at what he goes on to say there. So that, right, with, all, with knowledge and all discernment, um, so that we may approve of what is excellent, so that you may approve. What does that mean? To test, to know, and, and give and apply what is excellent, right? In other words, what is best. The better part of love is loving people according to, to, the, to what they need. And that's what Paul is talking about here. To give, them, to give and to love people according to what they need and what is best for them. Not what we think they need or how we want to love them and help them. A discerning love means knowing the person 
knowing their needs and helping them in that need, according to that need, that is good for them, best for them, right? You don't give someone Tylenol uh, as medicine if they have cancer, right? If your three-year-old child is begging you to eat candy, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, loving them is not giving them candy morning, noon, and night, right? This is how God so loved us in Christ, He loved us by giving us what we needed the most, by giving us what is best. He loved us by sending his one and only son in our humanity to bear our human sin, to live and love in our place, to suffer and die for us so that we might be accepted, adopted, and uh, and have eternal life. Jesus did what was best for us in the gospel. And this is the starting point for how we love each other, how we, how we love our friends, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers. What do they need the most in any circumstance in their life? What is the best, most excellent thing we can give to them because we love them? We can buy them homes. We can give them good ed- educations. Uh, we can... Uh, put food on the table for our family. Uh, We can help um, our neighbors in whatever ways they need, and those are all good and important. But what is the best thing that we can give them? What is the most important, the most essential thing we can give them because we love them? Nothing less than the gospel. We love them by telling them the love of God in Christ Jesus. We love them by loving them with the love of God. Of Jesus Christ. There is nothing better we can give them. This brings us then to my last point. We should pray not only for an abounding love, which we do with a discerning love, but finally we pray for a sanctifying love to the glory and praise of God. Look at the rest of verse 11 here. Look at the, the end for which he prays for us. Abounding and discerning in love leads to us to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, this is the second time that Paul mentions the day of Christ, uh, go back, going back to verse 6, right? He who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And so he has that same picture uh, 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 here in, in verse um, uh, 11 here. And this is the second time here. And, and it's important because Paul lives, uh, lives in the light of, of eternity. He lives each and every day in light of the last and final day. And so he's describing for us how God, who began a good work, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ and what that is going to look like. And what is it going to look like? To make us pure from all sin and blameless in Christ's righteousness for that day of judgment. That we will stand exactly uh, Perfectly righteous and blameless, holy, white as the driven snow in Christ Jesus, where the work of sanctification, the work of dying into our sin day by day, and the work of putting on uh, the newness of life in Christ Jesus to live and to walk in him, to become more and more like him is fully and finally complete on that day of judgment, where we will have no more sin within us. Nothing but the righteousness and holiness of Christ transforming us, being transformed us 
and we will stand pure and blameless before God. I don't know about you, but that ought to be our greatest hope and desire in the Christian life. Is it your greatest hope and desire to, to be free, completely free of your sin? It doesn't mean it's going to happen now before Christ's return, but that you know that you have the hope that it will be at Christ's return. That all those sins that have dogged you all your life, who beset you, who've made you stumble over and over again, and you, you hit yourself in the head and you say, why can't I get over this sin? Why can't I be more like Jesus? I hope you have that holy discontent about your life. Because at the day of Christ, it will be all done. You will have no more sin, and you will be perfectly just like Jesus. And it will come at the day of Christ. And the reason is because Jesus, 2,000 years ago on Calvary, bearing our sins, our guilt and our shame, nailed to the cross, received for us our final judgment. So that in him, at the final judgment, our judgment has already been given. The verdict is already made. Righteous, holy, pure, blameless, in God's sight, not for anything that we've done, but for everything that Jesus has done for us and in us. Amen. This is how the gospel is good news, not only for us today, each and every day as we work towards that goal and end, but it will be fully and finally done, complete, and made open for everyone to see on that future day of judgment in Christ. In the gospel, we are justified with the credit of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. So also in the gospel, we are sanctified and filled with the fruit of that righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And this is how we know we are saved in Christ. We show all the full effects of our life in union with Christ. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. Because I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And so we pray for our fellow Christians that they would bear fruit as they are living out the, the purity and blamelessness, as they grow in the righteousness that they have in Christ. We don't just pray for people to be saved. Uh, as if their tickets to heaven are punched and that's all they need to do. But we pray also for them to bear the fruit of God's grace in their lives, to bear the fruit of living in Christ uh, to the glory of God. Because God is glorified when we pray for one another to bear fruit. Because it is, because it is through that fruit that we bear in Christ that God gets all the glory. Not me, but Christ in me. For apart from him, I can do nothing. So the fruit that I bear goes to the glory of Jesus. So let me end with this last thought. Paul teaches us how to pray for each other. 
for a love to abound more and more for God and for others, for a love that flows out of a knowledge and discernment to know what is best, for a love that leads us to become more and more like Jesus in the fruit of righteousness and all resounding to the glory and praise of God. And this is the end for which we ought to pray and live for one another. Whether we eat or drink or, or pray or whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. And this is how we ought to pray for ourselves, for one another, for our neighbors, for those around us, to grow in love, to know how to love, and to be more and more sanctified in love. And as we do that, we do it then to the praise and glory of the God who first loved us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for, for Paul's prayer that teaches us how to pray for each other. Uh, indeed, you give us your Holy Spirit to teach us to pray. And here we have had a wonderful lesson. Lord, may we be changed by it. May we be people who pray for one another because we love each other. Help us then, Lord, to, to grow so that our, our love may abound more and more for you and for the world. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.